Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have Mike O'Neill with me. Mike, thank you for joining me. Thanks very much, Danielle. I'm delighted to be here with you. Okay, so uh, tell me about your background. Uh, I'm Canadian. I have a, a business. We're living in New York now. Um, we just got back after a two-year sojourn in South Africa, and uh, I got involved with the Gefeller Collection way back in 2015. Okay, very good. And um, what is the Gefeller Collection? So Barry, it's the Barry Gefeller. This is the life work of a, of a man born in Camas, Washington in 1933. And he was um, a very smart um, person, a, a voracious reader, a collector of paper and signs and labels, uh, but also a socially very shy person. And so he, he, went, uh, he went to college for one term and dropped out because he just didn't like being around strangers. And he went to work in a paper mill. And about the age of 44, he picked up a camera. And from there, he began a voracious pursuit of, as he told his nephew, documenting history. And every summer, uh, sorry, every May and every September, he would get in his car and he would drive these epic road trips, photographing buildings, particularly main streets. Uh, across the United States. And the, the ultimate uh, expression of this was 50,000 images at the end of 20 years, uh, comprising 3,750 or so uh, cities, towns, and tiny hamlets, some of them photographed several times. And uh, he, sh he shot them in 44 states and six Canadian provinces. I mean, it was just a, an enormous body of work. And as it turns out, uh, a body of work that has no no equal. There's no comparative. Um, there's no comparative collection. Right. He died in 1999 at the age of 66. And what were the year? Oh, you said he started when he was 44. So did he did he do this this photography throughout his, throughout the rest of his life? Yeah, it just it just became his passion. And so um, he would do two weeks in May and two weeks in September. And then he he did develop. Um, he became sick toward the end of his life. So he took a couple of years off around 94, 95. But in 1996, he went on probably his his biggest road trip ever. And so he drove across the country, drove into Canada, drove down to the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, 
it just just an enormous undertaking. And he shot on average five rolls of film a day because, of course, we're going back to the time right. when um, photography was analog. And he kept really detailed notes and he would bring all of the uh, the the, the film back, get them developed at the same photo lab in Camus, Washington. And then, um, and then he would label each photograph. So it was a, it was a big undertaking, but one I think that just, he found a lot of pleasure in. That that's, that's a, um, I'm just thinking like, that's just such an interesting, like for somebody who didn't want to be around people to like go out into the world, that must've been very brave. <laughs> But then also the the legacy that I, I wonder if he if he was, you know, aware of what he was. I mean, I guess he, he was since he said he was documenting history. He was aware of, of the legacy that he was leaving. You know, there's just as his bio, there's a there's a very brief biography of him written by uh, uh, an historian of photography, Ken Apollo. And it came with the collection and it said, you know, there's so much we'll never know. I mean. There's only a couple of people alive who knew him, his, um, his niece and her son. Um, and all of his notes and things, I mean, he'd amassed an enormous collection of paper at the end of his life. All of the notes and the notebooks and the receipts and things are gone. Oh. So there was, you know, I, I did the work of, of recreating the trips, but, um, the, but there's nothing written. There's, there's just one very small set of notes that somehow got work that were left in a box with the photographs. But his motivations and his thoughts about it, you really have to imagine it. And, right. and this is one of the interesting things about the collection. It's a bit like the Mona Lisa. Everyone projects onto it. Like everybody <laughs> has their own take on it. Right. And so, you know, everybody you talk to thinks, wow, what about, and you know, my wife pointed out, it's interesting that for somebody who was shy, that he's photographing main streets where people congregate. Oh, yeah. But the other really, really interesting thing about the collection is there are almost no people in the photographs. There are only a handful of the 50,000 photographs with people in them. So he shot very early in the morning or he shot in the evening. And so the landscape is devoid of people. And so af after you've looked at it for a while, if you pick up a handful of them and you're looking through, there's this eerie sense of where did everyone go? Oh, and it's yeah. almost as, like he's imagining um, the depopulation of, of downtowns. And he's almost imagining what we've experienced with COVID. Right. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. Well, how, how did you get involved with preserving the, the Gladfelder uh, collection? So uh, in 20. So I have a business where I do broadcasting and uh, um, political strategy and voter contact. And so in 2015, I was doing an advocacy, a third party advocacy campaign in Canada during our federal election or your, you know, what you would call the, the national election. Right. And so at the end of it, um, one of the people who had been involved with the project said, I've got this great collection of photographs. She worked, she was on the board of a charity in Northern Ontario. I have this great collection of photographs and it's our last significant piece of art and we want to uh, have it donated to the Library of Congress. And the Library of Congress had expressed interest in the collection. And so they needed to find a donor. And, and probably that donor had to be in the United States with, you know, for all, for all the reasons of, of having taxable income in the United States and having, of right. course, the interest. So they were hoping to um, raise money this way and continue their operations 
and their charitable operations. And this would be uh, a big project. So I undertook it and, uh, and then down the rabbit hole I went. Oh, that, 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 and, and so were you trying to, what was your role in, 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 in the preservation then? So, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's an interesting thing, the preservation. So I, I, I'm, I'm arriving at it after the collection's taken quite a long, long route. So at the time of his death, um, the, um, the person who was his, uh, his sister was his executor. And so I think his family members went in and he was still living in the family home. He'd accumulated an enormous collection of books and magazines and papers and signage and stuff. A lot of that some some images got some images from the collection were sold like, like um, his nephew uh, Kim Ketchmark told me that he recalls seeing images of the Grand Canyon um, so some of them might have been sold or given to people okay the camera the camera is no longer with us everything else all the notes and things were disposed of so the the collection then went was sold the, the mass of the collection was sold to a, an antiques and art dealer in uh, I think in Portland Oregon somebody heard about it and um, arranged that it would be bought by a Canadian art dealer who then syndicated the donation to, um, to this charity in Northern Ontario. And they held it for 16 or 17 years until they contacted me about it. And so I'm, I'm just like one little link in the chain. Yes. Um, and well, then my work began. They... I was just going to say, it's amazing that it went through all those hands and still stayed, you know, the 15,000 or you know, 50,000 photographs stayed together that they didn't get piece piecemealed out. I think everyone who saw it, Danielle said, there's some, there's really something here. Right. And I met with the library of Congress um, early in the project. And they said, there is no other collection of photographs like this. No. So there are fire atlases at the beginning of the 20th century but they don't have photographs, but they lay out what all the buildings right. were. Um, and then there's, there's Google street view and the, at the end of the century and in between, there's nothing there's very, I mean, there's nothing in one place. And so this is the best collection of vernacular uh, photography documenting American vernacular architecture. Yes. And, and so, you know, if you look back, you recall, Oh yeah, there were family shoe stores and there were record stores and, and all sorts of things. And, you know, after our lifetime, 50 or 100 years from now, people wonder what, what exactly did it look like? And you'll have to rely on movies and things in the same way we imagine the old West based on right. Hollywood movies. Yeah, it's um, and yeah, and the, the downtowns, there's a movement going back towards downtowns, but they're not the same as they were, you know, in the in the mid mid 20th century. No, and I mean, you know, the other question it asks is how much should be preserved in physically and how much should be preserved in memory? Right. So do you have to preserve? I mean, if you look at these buildings, they're all going through uh, a kind of arc of they're built. A lot of them are just, they're, they're really not built for their, their aesthetic value. They serve a practical purpose. Right. There's lots of photographs. Some of the best photographs, I think, are of uh, garages and um, other roads, sort of roadside stuff, and yeah. they're functional buildings. And then they, they, if they're not maintained, they go through a period of decay or something, and then they're refurbished or not, or knocked down. I mean, some of this right. stuff is no longer there. I drove by, uh, I happened to be in upstate New York near the Canadian border one day, 
and we drove by this hotel and I think it had closed at this point, but it was a little bit, um, it was a little bit decaying in the photographs from 20 years ago. And now you could see it had closed. Like they just hadn't maintained it. It was a wooden structure. So, so, you know, should, should all of it be preserved or should some of it be allowed to be replaced, but you, you want to know what it looked like. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and all, all buildings do go through that cycle of, of decay and renewal. And it's, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's the, the ones that, that survive that give us that, that glimpse into, into, into our past. Um, and, and no one, as my wife points out, everyone wants the look and the, they want the look of an older home. Like, you know, some of them have, you know, very, they're very appealing and we're used to that aesthetic, right. yeah. but they don't want cold floors and they don't want drafty windows. That, that, that so is, that is they very have... true. Yeah. I, and when you were talking about the roadside um, things, I love the, the gas stations, the really, the, or they might even just be service stations. They might have been gas stations, the two-story ones where the people lived above them. And they have like the big canopy that comes out. And I'm always telling my husband, we need to get one of those or, or the, um, the roadside motels. I'm like, that could be our retirement plan. And he's like, no, no, we're not, we're not running a motel. (laughs) (laughs) There's a, there's a, there's a, a show on television right now, um, the June motel. And it's based on um, a a pair of business partners and they've refurbished a couple of roadside motels in Ontario and they're doing really well with them. And they do a very good watch that. They do a it'll, very it'll good job, you know, and, and Gefeller was concerned. I mean, he was, he was working in a mill and, you know, these, these, the, the film, the cost of the, the gas and the film and the accommodation and things. I mean, it wasn't for, for somebody, it, it, for him without, you know, significant means, it wasn't a small undertaking. Right. And so he was very careful about expenses. He probably stayed at less expensive motels and things. He was careful about, about all of it. I mean, just the gas for a road trip uh, back then. And this is after the oil price shock. He starts in the mid seventies. So, uh, you know, he invests a lot in the collection uh, that way and is, and is careful about it. And so I suspect looking at a lot of the, the motels and things in the, in the collection, he stayed there the night before, got up first thing, photographed it, and then, and then started down the road. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you had mentioned um, uh, 40, four, was it 44 states and six Canadian province, providences? Yes. Wh- which, which states did he miss? Which four states of the lower, the lower, oh. lower four or the continental did, did he miss? Uh, he didn't go to, he didn't go to Florida or Georgia. And I think perhaps the Carolinas, okay. uh, he did not go to British Columbia or the maritime provinces in Canada. And of course not Alaska or Hawaii. Right. But he and some places he went often. He often went to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to New York State a lot, considering and which is significant considering it's on the other side of the, right. of the country. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, he did. He I think he did just did his best to to do as much as he could. And you notice that the the photographs are they're all naive. He doesn't he doesn't try to set them up. It's not Stephen Shore's work where the images are startling, or even John Margolis, who does vernacular American photography, but you can tell that he's put a lot of time into setting up the photograph. This is very raw. And a lot of times he would shoot from the car itself. um, (laughs) And it was, it was just, it was almost like a race against time. Like this is disappearing and I'm going to document it. And 
Um, so some of the images are, are mundane and you notice they butt up against each other. Like the, the edge of one becomes the, the leading edge of the next. Oh. And, and so he's showing everything down one side of the street and then turning around and showing you everything on the other. So it, it and yet within that, you still get some, some that are really artistic and really good. Like he captures a very moody sky in Nevada in front of it behind and around a gas station. There's great clouds. There are a lot of images in Texas that were startling. They were just really good. Um, and, and people, when we, when I published some of the images, people in Texas really, really took to the collection. There was a lot of interaction with it. Yeah. That's, um, that's really, uh, that's really interesting that it wasn't just like certain buildings. It was like the entire main street. That's, that, that's a really valuable uh, resource, not just from uh, like social, social kind of social study, you know, like, this is how downtowns used to be, but even from a, an architectural standpoint, um, there, uh, I could see a lot of, a lot of uses for that much in the same way that the, the, um, uh, fire, uh, insurance maps are. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's so many people that can, that can, um, that can make use of it in the future. I yes. think it's a tremendous. And I mean, when we talk about the collections next life, we'll talk about how I think this is going to grow. Oh yes, well, I and that—that's actually where I was going to go. So I—I I know that the 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 collection has been has been donated. So so tell me tell me what's happening with the collection now. Sure. So so when I first got the collection, uh, the, the the charity gave me access to it, and I began the process of you know you, you first you start you I pick up handfuls of the images and. I'd look at them and you think about them, you talk about them. And then I got my friend Thomas McDonald to help me um, catalog them because the old analog catalog was, and, and we did it on the basis of, of cities. So the, the, we did it on the basis of the way he labeled the collection, which was um, city or town, state, month and year. And that's all the information you had. And occasionally he would write a note like, um, you know, bank of bank of something, uh, you know, but it was very, it was very sparse. So, you know, that, because he was developing the photographs at the end, he was keeping a notebook of his travel. So right. you think of the, the amount of effort to do that, like 120 photographs a day with notes on each, really tough. And then to yeah. get them back and match that up, the, the, there was a lot of work already done by, by um, Gefeller. So then um, I ended up developing the website and then all the social media stuff with Owen Ward at uh, Disruptive Media Group in Los Angeles. And... Um, I was able to recreate the routes he took using, I'd get on Google and, and sort of lay it all out. And I mean, it, it just followed a logical progression. You could see where he went from one town to the next, but it was still a big job to, to map it, to map yes. out his routes. Yeah. And, and then of course we started publishing and talking about it in public. And then um, the library of Congress was not a, a an option at, at, at a certain point. So my wife and I purchased the collection so I became the donor and then started looking uh, later uh, with, and with the thought of we would continue to, to discuss the collection and promote it and stuff. And then later uh, I found the National Building Museum, which I had not been aware of. And the National Building Museum embraced the collection and decided they would accept it as a donation from us. Oh. And uh, we made the donation last year. And now they have, uh, I mean, they've been fantastic. They have... Um, scanned the entire collection 
um, cataloged it. And at the beginning of the year, they're going to put the whole thing online. And so it'll oh, be available okay. for people you know, who are researchers or who are doing academic work or who just want to look at the images. People right. just want to see what their, their hometown looked like. So um, that, that, that's been terrific. And they've been wonderful to work with. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Oh, that, that is exciting. And the National Building Museum, where, where is that located? That's in Washington, D.C. Okay. So I understand you're in Washington. So maybe I uh, am maybe today. <laughs> give a drive by. And it's, and it's in an historic building. And uh, I think one of the inauguration balls is held there every time there's a okay. presidential election. It's a beautiful space. And they do exhibits of, of, of other things. They have about 300,000 objects in their collection. And uh, it was really interesting. So I toured, I got a bit of a tour of the museum when I went there to deliver the collection. It's terrific. What I, what I think I see in the future is, so you're starting with 50,000 images of 3,750 towns or whatever it is, but I think they could invite people then to contribute additional images. I mean, this yeah. may grow to be, it has the potential to grow to be an almost um, comprehensive collection of images of the United States at a particular period of time. Right. Yeah. And, and it's almost like crowdsourcing it and, and people could, yeah, I, I think that that would be a, a great way to continue to build it and get different snapshots at different periods of time. Yes, it could, yeah. you could work either across or you could work back backward and forward in time. I mean, mm -hmm. what, what does the United States or did the United States look like? Right. And, yeah. and there really is, there is, you know, after you've looked at this for a, a lot of, uh, you've put a lot of hours into looking at it, you realize there is a, an American vernacular architecture and you would, without the labeling, you'd have a hard time knowing if something was in New York or Tennessee sometimes like there's, right. there really is, uh, you know, and sometimes you get some hints. Okay. That looks like a maritime building or that looks like Maine or so but on the whole there there's there is there's definitely a style or a, an expression yeah and yeah downtowns definitely look very similar like the the storefront that storefront look is you know yeah I could see that you you wouldn't be able to necessarily tell a, a geographic area based off of that no yeah. no no exactly exactly so I had a, a little brush with Barry Gefeller, and I didn't uh, yes. realize this. I told you I was doing, I, I told you that I, I plotted the routes, and I realized that in May of 1992, he was traveling uh, west along Highway 2 in Ontario, and he photographed uh, Belleville and Trenton and Coburg. Um, Coburg, in particular, has a very pretty uh, old Main Street from the 19th century. But I was riding, my friend Steve Eisman and I were riding our bikes east along the same road at the same time. So at one point we must have passed each other. Yes. Oh, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of, um, uh, that's, that's kind of exciting that you, I mean, you didn't really get to, to, to meet him because I'm sure that would have made him completely uncomfortable. <laughs> But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but that you were, you know, that, that, that kind of took you full circle then to when you, when you, you know, got to find, you know, dis discover the collection and then, and then discover that that's kind of, that's kind of exciting. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. So it was, it's, um, it, and you know, it's, it, it's, it's hard to pr project yourself into another person's reality, but he, his family remembers him as being very happy, very intellectually curious. Um, and, you know, I think for him to then go and work in this factory. I, so I also worked in a cardboard box factory. He was packing 
uh, stuff into the box into boxes, and I was making boxes. Oh. And you're at that point, you're trading your time and labor for money. Right. And it can be very repetitive, and it was hot and uncomfortable, as I'm sure it was where he was. And you just you find a way to escape it. I think this allowed him a way of escaping it. Right. You know, planning the next trip, thinking about the the collections, like it was something on a higher order. And uh, something that I think made in his obituary in his hometown, they said he liked to take photographs of old buildings. And I don't think that that nearly comes close enough to, to saying what he achieved with right. this. I agree. I agree. I, and I, it, think, I think that that's, that's uh, the repetitive task. You do need something, something to keep your mind occupied. Yeah. Yeah. So he has, yeah, so he, he was, I can, under, I, I sympathize. Or as my brother once said, when, you know, in college, you, you order pizza and everybody's all over. And he said, all I could smell was the box. <laughs> <laughs> so it, was, it was the best, you know, it was absolutely true. So, you know, the other, the other exciting thing for me. So as part of the donation, you, you get a professional appraisal done and the okay. appra- part of the, and we used, um, we worked with Edward Yee at Penelope Dixon. And so they, have to go out and research and find comparators. And this is, you know, somewhere between um, a work of documentation, vernacular photography, and then some of it, you know, you, you could argue is art because some of it did turn out very well. Right. And so, you know, in reading the appraisal, it was exciting to think that Gefeller's work now has to be counted in the canon of American vernacular photography. So if somebody is going to talk about, um, people who, who have also uh, photographed the American landscape, they, ha- they, they probably have to consider Gefeller now if they're doing any kind of academic research or they're looking right. because yeah. just because of the scope of his effort. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and so that, 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 the, 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 that, that, that his kind of outlet becomes, you know, what he's known for rather than working at the paper mill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was, you know, all of us have to, I mean, I think all of us at some point think about our legacy or maybe, right. maybe that's, maybe that's a male thing. I don't, I don't know, but you know, it, it, it's a question of what, what are we leaving behind? And I think if you leave behind a series of good interactions with people, that that's a good legacy, right. but here he's left something that is um, of a scope and, you know, being, being a quiet person and um, not drawing attention to himself. Would anybody have thought, Oh, he's going to be remembered as the, the the greatest artist in our community, or the the, you know, the greatest historian in our community. Like he's he's achieved that now in right. posterity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that that might not have been his overall goal. It might have just been a documentation and outlook or an outlet, but it definitely um, it 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 definitely has transcended. You know where 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 he left it. And, yeah, and, absolutely. and if his family and I believe it hadn't will. thought to keep it all together, no, you know, no one would have known. No, they were, they were, I think they recognized the, the, the amount of work and, and the, the value of the body of work. And now I think, and everybody along the chain, everyone who's seen it just thinks there's something remarkable about it. Yes. And now that it's at the National Building Museum, I think it's going to take on a second life and uh, become something else entirely. Yeah. That's, that's very, very exciting. Is there anything that I didn't think to ask you that maybe, um, maybe you wanted to share that you thought of while we were, while we were, while we were talking? I don't think so. So I think, um, I think I'm, uh, I'm good with, uh, good with that. So, yeah. 
Okay. Well, very good. Well, good. thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed learning more about the collection and I, I did spend some time on the website. Oh, uh, tell, tell, tell us where we can at least see a, a, a preview of the, of the, of the collection. Cause I know not all the images are on there. So you can, you can see a sample of the images and there are a lot of the states are covered uh, with a small number of, of images at uh, Gefeller collection. That's G F E. E L L E R collection.org. And there are the root maps are there, and there's a brief biography of him. And there's also a couple of photographs of Barry Gefeller that were provided by his family, which I'm grateful for. And um, yeah, and then and then that that site will wind down as soon as the National Building Museum uh, goes online at the beginning of the year. And I'm looking forward to that because of course I haven't seen all the images. Right. Yes. Yes. This this would be exciting. I'm 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 excited to tell people, um, you know, that are doing research that this is another you know another tool. And I so I'm excited. I'm excited for this too. So thank you very much for for sharing your information and and your time with me today. Thank you very much, Danielle. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yes. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.